Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Lizzie Elmsley, who trained in general practice and is now working as an academic clinical fellow at the University of Bristol, and Esther Shaloshi, who is a senior research fellow at the University of Bristol's Centre for Academic Primary Care Research. We're going to discuss the paper they've recently published in the BJGP titled General Practice as a Place to Receive Help for Domestic Abuse During the COVID-19 Pandemic, a Qualitative Interview Study in England and Wales. So thanks, Lizzie and Esther, for joining me here today to talk about this paper. Just as a bit of background, we know that domestic abuse and violence is common, and you point out in the paper that general practice really does have an important role in identifying and responding to domestic violence. And you focus in this paper on what happened during the COVID pandemic. But looking back, what do we know about the incidence of domestic abuse and violence during the pandemic? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. So we know that internationally, during the pandemic, there's concerns that there's been an increase in domestic abuse and violence cases. Um, and then there's also indications that it's increased in complexity and severity. Um, and that's the same in the UK, certainly concerns about that here. And there's particularly concerns that that's got worse during periods of lockdown. But I think there's concerns about that throughout the pandemic as well. Yeah, and I suppose during the lockdowns, perhaps people weren't presenting in the same way as well. And I know we'll pick that up a a bit later in the podcast as well. But um, this project focuses on a program called IRIS, which is a support and training intervention. And I wonder if you could just spend uh, a bit of time telling us more about IRIS and, and what it is. Yeah, so um, it was part of IRIS Plus, uh, IRIS Plus intervention. IRIS Plus offered the clinical training to whole clinical teams and, and also provided a direct referral pathway to a specialist domestic abuse service where the affected patients could be referred to. So the clinicians referred, uh, received the training about how, how to talk to women, children and young people and men as well. And there was also communication back to the health professional and also the possibility of an informal discussion with the clinician if there was an uncertainty or if a patient declined a referral. And it was all based on IRIS, which uh, has already been proven to be effective and and cost-effective. But uh, the focus in IRIS is women uh, victim survivors, whereas in IRIS Plus, there is the the added focus on, on children and young people and, and men as well. So Iris Plus added to, to Iris by expanding the focus from women only to men and children as, as well. This was a project that involved seven general practices in England and Wales that were piloting the Iris Plus programme. And this paper reports on the results from the qualitative interviews of patients affected by domestic abuse and healthcare professionals in those practices as well. And I want to talk now a bit about the results and the experiences of the patients and the perspectives of those healthcare professionals. To start, how did these two groups describe how they coped with and responded to domestic violence and abuse during the pandemic? Yeah, so we wanted to get a bit of background, I guess, because I think our focus was a lot on the primary care response. But we also wanted to find out we had this window, this opportunity to find out what was going on at that time for them at home. Um, So from a patient perspective, those in ongoing abusive relationships, they generally spoke about an escalation in abuse. Things were getting worse. 
for those that were no longer in those relationships that had left, it sort of felt like a bit of a double whammy. They'd just been able to escape an abusive relationship and now they're faced with a pandemic and worsening mental health and other issues at the same time. There were some other people that experienced things differently. So, for example, I remember one person saying that they, with lockdown, they actually felt that the pressure or the worry about bumping into an ex-partner was was gone. So there wasn't no longer that fear of that. A real mix of feelings, I think, for people. Um, for children, they spoke, sort of spoke a little bit about being at school and 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 now being at home. Parents being concerned about um, children's education at the same time, and as well as all sort of so much going on in the household in terms of domestic abuse. So, for clinicians um, and and the primary care team as a whole. Um, I think it sounded like it was a really, really tough time. A lot of this stuff might still be going on, but in terms of huge amount of workload, competing priorities and challenges that they're trying to balance, so many spinning plates at the same time. Um, and I remember one of the, I think it was a GP speaking about just huge amount of workload, huge amount of competing challenges that they're facing and just really trying to keep a focus on domestic abuse because they were so aware of the of the challenges going on with that and how they needed to keep sort of a laser focus on it. So sort of having to make that really rapid transition to remote consultations. Mm. And as you mentioned, there was a huge shift in the way general practice appointments were being delivered. And your next couple of themes described the access to and consultations in general practice during the pandemic. How did this impact on patients and their experiences of domestic abuse and violence during the pandemic? I think that having the perspective of, of both patients and professionals is actually quite unique. And we found interestingly that there is often a disconnect between what patients wanted and what they expected. and perspectives of clinicians or, or what they think the patients want or need. So patients really valued continuity of care and they really wanted to speak to a GP when it is convenient and safe for them rather than waiting for callback. And obviously clinicians, they were worried about immediate safety and the priority was obviously to work together with other professionals to make sure that the patient and the children are safe. GPs tended to be the primary referrals but there was there was a whole team approach to, to referral making. So really, we found that that it was really important to, to include the whole clinical team. So drug and alcohol workers, urgent care practitioners, health visitors that really enable the identification and, and referral of patients using this collaborative whole team approach. And you mentioned, Esther, about telephone consultations and Things like the timing of a callback. So, for instance, during a telephone triage list, the callback might not be when the, the patient needed it or maybe they weren't in a safe place. Did patients talk about the switch to telephone consultations? Because some of that might still be relevant today as telephone consultations and triage have increased in prevalence since the pandemic. Absolutely. So, I think. Um and I think for me, that was a really important learning point was around that flexibility. That was they really, really valued a flexible approach. So I think there's so many useful things about a remote consultation or a telephone consultation. But we know that. And I think what came through in these in these um, interviews was that patients overwhelmingly preferred a face to face appointment for a disclosure. So I think they really valued being able to see the clinician's response pick up on nonverbal communication, that was really important to them. And I think I'm a, I've got one case in particular in my mind where it was um, a woman on the phone and this was the, the patient sharing the story and she 
didn't feel safe. She was living with a perpetrator, didn't feel safe to explain what was happening. But on the phone had spoken about, I think, symptoms of infection or, or abdominal pain combined. And then the, I think the GP subtly picked up on some cues from that conversation and organised the same day face-to-face appointment at the practice. And it was then that the patient disclosed. And she really valued that rapid, flexible approach. And I think uh, there was another case where, again, that flexibility was really important. So Um, It started off as a telephone consultation um, and then the clinician spoke about um, they picked up again some subtle cues, something wasn't quite right, relying on their intuition, something's going on here. Um, And then they suggested switching to a video consultation. That's not perfect. There's still concerns around safety, but it was that opportunity of seeing someone face to face, things, the dynamic completely shifted and then it led to a disclosure. So I think having that flexibility, there's lots of reasons why Telephone consultations might be really helpful, but we know that in situations where things can be really complex, like these um, relationships and trying to get to a safe point of disclosure, being flexible and being able to shift and transition was really valued by patients. One of the things that you touched upon, Esther, about Iris Plus is that it includes children as well in the programme. So did the respondents, the patients or the healthcare professionals talk at all about what it was like? doing these referrals for children or how that worked during the pandemic or didn't work well? Yeah, so there was definitely, I think, a really important theme for all of us was realising that the healthcare professionals had pretty significant concerns about the visibility of children. So I think they felt that pre-pandemic, if you had concerns about a child, you could, well, you could pick up on cues, you could see what they're wearing, you could maybe pick up on signs of neglect or physical abuse. Um, And then you could maybe ask someone to step outside of the room, have a chat to that child one to one. But they really felt that there was this sort of no eyes on children. Now they were just speaking to relatives or or caregivers on the phone. Um, They weren't really speaking to children directly and they were not seeing any of those visible nonverbal cues as well. Picking up on those red flags was much harder in remote consultations. Mm, And this concept of no eyes on children, especially during lockdown, when children were attending mainstream schooling, for instance, or nurseries, uh, you can imagine how this could become quite a hidden population. The final theme looked at how respondents described the general practice response to domestic violence and abuse. Do you want to touch on some of the results coming up from that? Yeah, I think Esther, you touched a bit about this in terms of the the whole team approach. So I think that for us was another really big learning point from the study. And I think something that we can continue going forward into into years to come. So, you know, disclosure isn't a one-off event. It's a it's a process, it's a complex thing where lots of interactions might happen before we reach the stage of a of a disclosure. I think that's why it's so important to have this whole team approach. Um, So from the front door to the consultation, that consultation might be the epicenter of the disclosure, but there's so many other roads into it. And I think we found that in particular, I think GPs really valued hearing from other healthcare professionals, whether that's the police in a document coming through to the practice, whether it's um, midwives, health visitors, other members of the primary care team. So I think opportunities for information sharing were really important. Um, But within the practice as well, it was really important that there were channels of communication. So if the health navigation team or the reception team see that there's something concerning happening in the waiting room or they've had a phone call through from another service or a concern that something's happening, we need really clear communication channels within the team to be able to escalate concerns, share concerns. Um, And we have a sister study called Precode, which is looking at the sort of adaptation of primary care teams during the pandemic to identify and respond to domestic abuse. And that was a really big learning point in that sister study as well, where we heard from healthcare professionals how vital it is to have a whole team approach. Mm. And, And 
in both studies, um, there was a, what people found really helpful, what the sort of the, the team found helpful, both at triage, but also the clinicians, uh, was that they flags in the medical record. So sometimes if there was indication of past abuse, meaning that they might be much more likely to make it an instant face-to-face appointment rather than an initial remote consultation. So I think those flags in the medical record in both studies were also identified as being really important. Any other key findings that either of you would like to highlight coming out of this paper? Esther, you mentioned it a little bit in terms of continuity of care. That was something else that I had down as um, a really important thing to mention as well in terms of it's something that we all know in general practice is so important. And in these cases, several patients mentioned about how if it was someone that they already knew how valuable that was, especially during a time when there's so much uncertainty, change, transition. Um, so I think um, it's a really learning point. So a really important learning point that where possible during these crazy times where things are really transitioning and uh, uncertain patients really hang on to the the, the values and benefits of of continuity of care. I think that we've covered some of the take-home messages that you've both described in terms of the implications for primary care. So flagging people's records, um, allowing people to request face-to-face consultations, converting to a face-to-face consultation if necessary. But do you have any other key implications or take-home messages that you want to tell people working in primary care about? I imagine some of our findings link in with other other areas of research or other areas of clinical practice where I think again coming back to this sort of being it being a time of COVID being a time of uncertainty, a time of change, a time of transition. I think hearing these voices of patients, adults, children, it just highlights how important it is to work in partnership with them, I suppose. I think for me that was a really big learning point where making our I think thinking about our service planning um, and provisions that making sure it's meaningful to sort of all these all these patients that have really major concerns of things worsening during the pandemic so I think listening um, listening to these populations listening to these groups and I guess thinking more broadly about other communities that might have really experienced hardship during the pandemic I think it's really important to work in partnership where we can. I think um, yeah that's a great place to just wrap things up so I just wanted to say thank you to you both for talking to me today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all very much for your time here and for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found on bjgplife.com. It's been great hearing from Lizzie and Esther about these three specific action points around general practice, that is, allowing flexibility to respond quickly to people experiencing domestic abuse and violence, keeping an eye on the visibility of children, especially during a pandemic, and also the importance of collaborative teamwork in highlighting and sharing information around domestic abuse and violence. It's been really interesting, and I hope that you've all been able to take something back for your own clinical practice. Thanks again, and bye! Bye!